You know, I consider my dad uh, really one of my closest friends and one of the people I probably talk to as much as anybody, and so we can have a seat. But uh, thank you for coming and doing this with me. And uh, I know that it's not your comfort zone. I like the back row. Yeah. <laughs> well, what's funny about it is he's a salesman by, by vocation, but sitting in front of people talking, this is not his comfort zone. But it's amazing what you'll do for your son, right? You're absolutely right. <laughs> Me and Pastor Sam's probably the only two people who could get you to do this. Well, pretty yeah, close. Pretty close. Pretty close. Pretty close. And, uh, but, uh, you know, one of the things, uh, you know, about our relationship is that we're just like anybody else. We've had to figure it out. And, uh, you know, there's been some good times and some not so good times and a lot of in between. And, um, you know, but uh, we've maintained a good, solid relationship for a long time. And uh, even though we have weathered a lot of storms together, walked through a lot of things, had a lot of conversations uh, about life and just trying to figure out what in the world we're supposed to be doing in different seasons of life. And, uh, you know, and so it's really unique. And so, um, but I just, I had it in my heart to, to just do this with my dad. And I really wanted this just to be a pretty honest conversation. Um, and so whether you're a father or just, uh, maybe you're a husband, you're not a dad yet, or, you know, but I think there are some unique things that we as men face. And I think our culture is more and more and more trying to push down really the importance of manhood and masculinity. And, you know, I was listening to something the other day and I thought it was really interesting. Uh, and it kind of fits with this is they said that it's better to be a warrior in the middle of a garden than to be a gardener in the middle of a war. You know, and I think that our society in many ways is trying to force men to what? To not be strong and not in an over. I mean, because to me, part of what manhood is, is really knowing how to use your strength and when to use it, not just that you are strong. And so we want to talk about some things. And so I'm going to let my dad tell some of his story, um, you know, a little bit just to kind of give you some context a little bit uh, as to his background, a little bit about who he is. But uh, one of the first things that we're going to kind of discuss is talking about just the pressures that men face. And, uh, you know, so I kind of start from the beginning, really. And we'll kind of pick up from when I was really young. I was about two or three when you made a career change that you've now been doing for 39 years, Right. Pretty close, yeah. You know, something like that. And so I was about two when he made this transition, but I'm going to let him kind of fill you in on the details of it. And uh, so why don't you just share a little bit about your story? Well, probably like most people, hopefully not everybody, I got married when I was 18. Sue and I got married, and four years later, we started having babies. And it just never seemed like we had enough money. It just seemed like we always went to church. Sue was raised with, uh, there in a uh, religious background. She was Pentecostal. I was raised in a Baptist church. So we had a little problem there for a while, but we got it straight. <laughs> but four years later, we started having kids, and it just seemed like there never was enough money. And when you don't know what to do, generally you revert back to what your dad did. My dad worked in the oil field when the oil field didn't pay much. And so he always had two or three jobs. Dad never worked less than probably 80 hours a week. A lot of times he worked 100. And so that's what I did. Sue came home, raised the babies. Uh, She quit work. And once we started having kids, and so I didn't have any education, so I worked. And so I took on two jobs, and for two or three years, I didn't know this boy was hardly born because I worked, but we got them all paid for. 
But it always seemed like there wasn't enough money. And so you go hunting for something else. And so by the time, by that time all that happened, I started driving a truck instead of working at the newspaper. It paid nearly twice as much. So I started driving a truck and I drove a truck for five years. And we made a change in our church and we started going to, at that time, Word of Life, where Brother Sam was. And my pastor that I, my previous pastor had told me to go to Brother Sam's church. I thought that was interesting. So we hadn't been going to Brother Sam's church very long. And he had a word for me that I was, I came to to the church to prosper. And at that time I was just driving a truck like everybody else and just trying to get through life. And I didn't have a clue. The next year, there was a man in our church that asked me to come to work for him, and I told him to, to forget it. <laughs> he he was a hard-working man. He didn't offer no vacations. He didn't offer no time out. He just offered a better income. Thirty days later, between Sue and Helen Hilton, which was my spiritual mom, they kept telling me that from day one that I was supposed to go to work for him, and I wouldn't do it. Because I like to hunt and fish. <laughs> so we moved, moving on, we had, I did make the change, and that was 1982, I think it's when it was. And so we, um, at that point there, I become a salesman. I didn't have no clue, I didn't have no training, I didn't have anything. And I was selling some heavy haul trailers to the oil patch, supposedly. The first year went by, didn't make any sales. Good thing they had me on some sort of little salary because I'd been in trouble. And as time went on, 18 years passed, and I started selling a few trailers, and I'd have a good year and a bad year. I always thought I was kind of like Joseph in the Bible. Because every time he got to the top, it seemed like he fell down again. He'd have to climb back up. There'd be something else. And so as time went on, uh, 18 years later, we had in 2000, well, in 99, I didn't have any sales that year. And so I kept driving to Houston because I heard that neighbor's drilling was going to be having some rig movements started rig moving up and so they was going to need trailers and so so solid year i went there nothing else to do because there wasn't any sales and we got there and i got the contract and the first order was over a million dollars i thought man this is good i like this (laughs) this ain't so bad in 90 days i got another one and i we just continued on a 90 day thing every time he gave me a good contract there and it's the first time I ever had one and so at that point my phone started ringing all of a sudden I was seemed like I was in demand people I had met the previous 18 years some of them had got in some sort of a uh, influential type position in the company and they was calling me and they wanted to know how did you get that contract with neighbors I said, they just let me have it. I don't know what to tell you. And they said, well, will you build me some trailers? Probably by the end of two, year, two years on that thing, 
I was selling trailers to four of the biggest drilling contractors in the world. I had no clue. If they knew I didn't have any education, they probably wouldn't even let me done it. <laughs> but it started from there, and God has continued to bless us, and that's basically what I've done. Uh, the first 18 years wasn't any fun. I got a tape one time of Lester Summerall, and I don't know how many people know Lester Summerall, but he had one I didn't quit. I probably wore out two or three tapes just plugging it in and listening to it as I drove. And probably that was one of the greatest things that helped me. And if you never heard it, I didn't quit. I think you ought to get it. I used to buy tapes all the time whenever we had tapes, and I'd give them away to people. Every time somebody would seem to be down or something, I'd give them that thing. I didn't quit because business can be tough. It's hard to understand sometimes about business because it's not personal it's just business but somehow or another it gets over into personal at times and you need something to keep you going so basically that's what we did yeah so one of the things and i want you to speak to this is right at that 18 year mark something happened though the wreck when you got that first contract you were on your way home two days before christmas right tell me if i'm wrong on these details and he was on a two-lane highway behind somebody. The car in front of him swerved because there was a car sitting dead still on the road. And he hit him at probably, you're going about 70, 75. Yep. Bent the, the brake pedal <laughs> trying to stop and slammed in the back of the car. And uh, so you didn't work for four months. Four months. And uh, yep. so he had this contract, the biggest contract he had ever signed in his life for this deal. And you sat at home. Yeah. And yeah. at that time, you had quite a... Had amassed quite a decent amount of debt, uh, different yeah. things. And so the pressure of this yeah. moment, yeah. it's like, God, how could this happen? And so talk a little bit about that that season. When when I did that, that was in 99, at the end of 99. And I, the company had sent me around to seven or eight yards because I was doing some trade-ins and stuff. And so I was at the last one, two days before Christmas. I'd finished that. I called him, and I told him I'd be in the office Monday in Houston, and we was going to get everything done. And so when I did that, and I had the wreck, after the wreck was over with, I had a pile of debt at that time, just trying because there was no sales, wasn't anything going on, the pressure was on. But I just probably wasn't thinking real clear either. And I called him, or no, I think he called me Monday morning and told him I was all broke up. And I said, hey, I know the company's moving fast. I know that y'all want to hurry up and do this. Get somebody else. Well, he chewed me out for bringing up about the trailers. He was checking on me. So I didn't hear anything. He said, when you get better, hobble down here to the office and let me talk to you. Well, I thought they went on, did something with the trailer deal. I didn't even call him. He called me a couple of times just checking on me, but I knew better than bring up the trailers because he done chewed me out for that, so I didn't say anything. Four months later, I walked in there. I had four months to think about all the debt I had applied. And I remember telling Sue when I did this, there towards the end of the four months, because I had plenty of time to think about it. I said, you know, we're in trouble. I got all this debt 
I don't have any money coming in. And so she, I told her, she told me, she says, sell the house, get the equity out of it, and pay all the stuff off. And I, I remember having to look at her and tell her, and I hate it. I feel about this big. I said, that won't do it. And I was at the end of my rope. I didn't know what I was going to do from that point on. She never said another word to me about it. Never came up again about it. And so at the end of four months, I went on to Houston and went up there. And so uh, my customer asked me, he said, well, how how you doing? And we sat there and talked about my legs and my hip and that sort of stuff. And in a little while, and I said, hey, if you don't mind me asking you, Jerry, what did you all do about the trailers? Four months, biggest drilling company in the world. And he, he looked at me and he said, huh, I forgot about that. And he reached over in his drawer and he opened it and he pulled out all of my quotes. And he threw them across the table at me. He said, boy, you're late. And so that's how I got the contract. Yeah. That, that, I can tell you, that was just God for them to have to wait four months. Yeah. Well, and it speaks a lot about just having favor with somebody. Yeah. You know, and just believing God for favor. The man, you can come in contact with one person and it can change your life. It really can. And even in these moments. And, you know, a number of years ago, I actually got a CD of him actually telling his story. And I didn't know some of this stuff because I was probably, at that time, I would have been 18, 19 years old. Um, you know, I didn't know all this that was going on. I just vaguely remembered, you know, he got in the wreck. I remember this, but my life kind of kept going on. And I didn't know he's sitting at home depressed and just stressed out about all these things and just trying to figure it out. And I think that's something uh, that I, I think as men, we don't talk about the pressure that we feel. Because it's on all the time. Whether we want to admit it, acknowledge it, and it doesn't matter how good or bad things are, there's just pressure to lead. And we feel that as men. And, and you know, and, and we don't have time to really dig into all of it, but even when he talked about going to... Some of you know this, some of you don't. He started selling in the oil field in 1982. Well, the oil field busted in 1982. So he didn't sell anything for 18 months. And he would not go to lunch with people because he didn't have money to buy his own lunch. And so he'd go and pray under a tree. He'd go find a shady spot to pray and just say, Lord, you've got to help me. I don't know what I'm doing. What, how are we going to do this? And, and what am I going to do? And all these types of things. And, and there's a journey that happened over those 18 years. You know, is that, you know, I've heard it, I've heard many people say this, but it's like, man, I worked really hard for a long time to become an overnight success. You ever heard that phrase? You know, and I think there's something to just trusting the Lord and sticking with it, not quitting, really walking these things out and just saying, Lord, I trust you. I don't have to have it all figured out. You know, and even like he talked about, even though my mom and a lady that they really had a lot of respect and trusted and and believed in, were saying, hey, you got to do this. Well, it's still on him. The pressure is really still on him to make the decision to make that step of faith that was a tough decision. You know, and there's times that God will give you opportunities that you've got to what? Be willing to move, to make that step, to make that shift, whatever it may be. And sometimes everything in your mind is going, this is stupid. This is stupid. Why would you do this? But in your heart, you know that it's right. And the Lord will bring you opportunities and he will honor those things. And so, men, I just want to encourage you today just in this area is that, yes, we have pressure. Uh, You know, if nothing else, it's the pressure. Don't screw it up. I mean, that's a lot of pressure in and of itself. 
but you're a husband, you're a father, you're a leader. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're 18, 19 years old, you've got decisions and pressure on you right now. What are you going to do with the rest of your life? And it's like, oh my gosh, like, leave me alone. You know, and there's this that is on men, but the good news is, is that's where we can go to God. That's where we can spend time praying. That's where we can seek his wisdom. You know, one of the things that I've always admired about my dad is this, is that, and he's, and it, uh, you know, as he said, I mean, he got through high school by the skin of his teeth. His uh, grandfather had to basically bribe him to, to not skip anymore or he would have failed one more day and he wouldn't have graduated high school kind of thing. And his granddad had to bribe him just to finish high school. And, uh, but one of the things that he's always done, and I've heard him say it most of my life, is that I always listen for one nugget. One nugget in every conversation. He would be sitting at a business deal and say, hey, share one, one thing, one, one tidbit of knowledge that you've learned with these men who were successful in business. And, and so, and learning all those little things along the way that have helped him really progress and really to, uh, cause I mean, it's one thing to make money. It's another thing to actually hold on to it. Right. Yep. <laughs> and so he had to learn how to, and, and really being willing to listen and to learn and to ask the question. I think that's as important as anything, having the understanding that, Hey, this guy could help me if I'm willing to listen and getting into the proper relationships, um, most, you know. most people that I have found out in life, because I'm around so many businessmen that have done real well in life, most of them can only give me one nugget. I, I learn, Maybe I'm a slow learner. I don't know. But most of them, if I get two nuggets from one customer, I did a lot. I, I did a lot of learning. I knocked a home run. Most of the time you get one. But if you ask 50 people and you get a few nuggets about life and how to invest, how they, how they made it, find out about their story. You learn from that and you can grow from it. And that's basically what I did. I don't know how come I started doing it. It was just God that I would even ask people that. And I still go around and I asked customers to show me some of their accomplishments. I love to go and see like some of them own farms, some of them own ranches, some of them, they got boats. You never know what they got. But I said, hey, let's go look at it. I want to see it. And if they ask me, well, what do you want to go see it for? I said, I'm trying to grow. I'm trying to get a bigger vision. Because getting a bigger vision will help you to know because all this stuff is out there. We know people make money. We know people live better. It's just hard to, to grasp how to do that. And I had no learning whatsoever. And so that's the reason I started trying to go and teach, try to learn something from these people. And it helped me to learn to invest. Investing was the hardest thing that I ever did in my life. It's the first time that I ever had any cash. And a guy wouldn't leave me alone. And he kept taking me out on this land to buy some land. And we was buying it on partnerships. It wasn't a big, that big of a deal to them. It was a lot to me. It was the first time in my life I had some cash. And he got me to invest in it. And that went on. And first thing I knew, I was still making some money. And I started investing in some more land on some partnerships and things like that. And the first thing I knew, I started, things started happening. A few years later, the... Hainesville Shell kicked in up there, and so we started having some some gas wells and stuff on the land. We started having pipelines and things like that going across the land, and we sell water. 
So it's been real lucrative to me to be able to invest. And I know that was God that did that because I told that guy, just like I did my first boss there, I told him, I said, I'm not interested. This is my money. I'm not giving it to you. I don't want you to have it. I want to keep it. I, it was a, it felt secure. It felt good. But you have to let it go to, if you're going to grow. And that was a hard thing. And by the way, the first piece of land that I ever invested in, I still haven't. I ain't made a dime with it. <laughs> but all of the other, all of the other property that we did invest in, I've made money with it. So it doesn't bother me anymore. <laughs> So let's shift gears a little bit because I, I know this is something that's pretty important to both of us because of our uh, just walking together for years, which is the subject of generational change, um, you know, and really seeing God work in our family, um, you know, because the Bible talks a lot about, and some of you may understand this, some of you may not, but the Bible actually talks about the word iniquity, which is a, a fancy, nice word, and sometimes we call it learned behavior in our culture, and really, simply put, it's sin that's passed down from generation to generation. And, uh, and there were some things that you did, as long as I can remember, uh, in, in our life to really start to shift our family and to shift some things um, that uh, I think it's something that me and you now are both in agreement on and we're praying for and believing God for. And so, Anger. Yep. So talk a little yeah. bit about that. Just, I guess I don't know why, but I know... My daddy, he had a bad temper, but it was cause he never got enough sleep. It was kind of a simple thing. He he always worked two or three jobs. I never known him to have less than two jobs. Most of the time he had three my entire life. So he was always tired and he don't have much patience. And in the windup, he grew two sons that was angry. Not because he worked and things like that. He was angry. We was angry. It it. it and then it gets passed down to your next generation. And so as the kids got older, you know, it's funny. You can hold all that anger. You can hide all that anger, every bit of it. But when you get home, you got a tendency to let it fly. And that's the last place you want to let it fly. But it seems like that's what you do. Your wife, your kids, they all get affected by it. And I remember... Oh, gee, I don't know. Kids was teenagers, probably young teenagers. Maybe Melissa was the only teenager. I'm not sure. But uh, I remember I was letting my temper fly there, and she got upset about it. And she says, y'all got, you got to do something. And she wasn't very old, 12, 13, 14 years old. But it just broke my heart that my child had to tell me that. And I started working on it. I started praying about it. Uh, Anger is that iniquity. It is passed down from generation to generation. We don't even realize it, but it's there. And I heard a sermon one time about it. You got to break it. You got to break that thing. And I'm not a fast learner, so it took me a while to get that anger under control. And so... I encourage every man here to, to work on anger because it'll save your marriage. You'll have better kids because you don't want to pass that anger on to your kids. And so we're, that's the one thing I've worked on for years because it is a um, reoccurring sin. And my number two daughter, 
He told me when I was bragging about change. Now, all three of my kids had already come to me and thanked me for changing. Probably three or four years after I started trying to do it. And I learned to apologize a lot. Oh, gee. Fathers hate to apologize to their kids. I apologize hundreds of times trying to get better at it. And, uh, but, uh, number two daughter came to me and I was bragging about me changing. And she, she just looked at me and she says, Dad, he still wants to raise his ugly head up every now and then, but we'll knock it off for you. <laughs> but I think even along that line, one of the things, and I don't know if you did this just with me or with all of us, but I know when you would come to me and apologize and say, hey, I lost my cool, I, I flew off the handle. And a lot of times we, we respond that way because of the pressure that we feel. Yeah. It's just there. And a lot of times we can't even pinpoint as to where it's coming from. Uh, but one of the things that you did that you really got... Uh, I remember time after me just it seemed like you told me every day, but it probably wasn't that. But you would come to me when you would apologize and say, I'm sorry, but you can change this. And I was probably yeah. 10 or 11, maybe nine even. And he just started speaking that into my life. Like, he's like, I'm, I'm working on this, but you can stop this. He's like, you're young enough. He's like, I remember you telling me, trust me, it only gets harder the older you get. Yeah. And he's like, if you'll start working on this, you can break this in our family. And he began to speak that over my life, you know. And, and so to this day, and I'm not saying that I don't have a temper because, sure, everybody, I mean, I can. And, uh, but I do know this is that I've come a long ways. I mean, I was the kid because even as a teenager, I mean, kind of give you an idea as a teenager, I tried to punch one of my friends through a glass pane window. I would get so mad I would punch trees. I would punch like walls, I, you know, I mean, because I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to, you know, and so this was obviously something area of my life that I didn't know how to deal with. He didn't really know. We were trying to figure it out. And the good thing today is, is I have a son that we're believing will never know the effects of that. Amen. And if nothing else, he's going to be better than me. And I'm going to tell him the same thing is that in my shortcomings, Max, you can be better than me. And I'm going to speak the same things over him that my dad spoke over me. And sometimes we can get short sighted in thinking that we have to fix everything. Like that we have to be the answer. And the truth is, is that no, we need to just make sure the next generation is better. And the next generation, because God is a generational God. It's not just because, and whether you're man, woman, however it may be today, you can feel the pressure of, man, I've got to fix everything. Like I've got to be right or I'm going to jack up my kids. No, what you've got to be is honest with your kids. Be truthful with them. Let them know that, hey, number one, it's okay to fail. Just don't stay there. And continue to move forward. And, and I think that there are some things in that. And it is an area of faith. It is something that, I mean, we've spent a lot of time talking about it. Yeah. And, and just discussing it. It really, uh, you know, I can remember, I mean, my parents were uh, pretty good about once we got out of the house and married. That they were like, hey, we're not telling you squat unless you ask. You know, um, kind of thing. And they were just always, hey, you're grown. But I remember one time we were driving down the road, and I don't know, I mean, me and Dare were married. We had moved off. We were lived in another state. I don't remember, but we were back home, and, uh, and I don't remember what it was, but I was short with Dara, and I remember we were driving. We didn't even make it out of the neighborhood yet, and he said, son, I need to talk to you, and I was like, okay, and I'm thinking, what are we going to talk about, you know, kind of thing, and he said, you know, I know this is none of my business, but I am your dad, and he said, you need to be careful how you talk to Dara. He's like, you're a little short with her. You need to be better than me. 
You know, and he wasn't getting on to me. That was the extent of the conversation. I said, fine, was frustrated that he called me out on it. But I knew he was right, you know. I knew he was right, but it was that recognition of I've got to make this adjustment. And it really, again, it speaks back to learning how to deal with my own emotions and and, and how I dealt with pressure. You know, because as he said, I'm going to, what, it's going to come out at home more than anywhere else because I'm going to be on my best behavior at work or with my buddies or all those things. And when I come home, all bets are off kind of thing. And, you know, and yet that was the very area, you know, they always say you hurt the ones closest to you because, you know, they love you, right? But it doesn't mean that it should be that way, you know. And so, you know, even in these areas of this and so, and I think that it's, uh, you know, even to the point of even apologizing was huge, I mean, I don't know what it is, but there's something in a man that never wants to say, I'm sorry. I've, I've met few men that just would throw, I'm sorry, out there quick. Most just bite their lip and walk off. You know, it's just like, nope, not going there, not doing that. But yet it took a lot of humility for you to be able to just do that. Now, if that was your decision or because you knew mom was going to chew you out when y'all went to the bedroom <laughs> later, I don't know. But, uh, you know, but either way, it was the willingness yeah. to own it and, and to, to acknowledge it. And it really created change, not just in you, but also in me. And, and I believe that we're going to continue to see that change in our family. And here's the good news. And this is what I would encourage you. Your thing may not be anger, right? You may have something else that's in your family, but it can begin to shift and change with you. Is that you can't change the past. You can't undo what has been done, but you are the author of your future. You determine, and it's not going to happen in a moment. More than likely. I mean, unless God just does something in a moment and just kind of shifts something supernaturally. But more than likely, it's going to be a process that you're going to walk out. But change is possible. And everything that we see in God's word, all of the promises of God, they are real and they are available to us. But we have to, what, go possess them. We have to go take them and we walk those things out. And and so it is. Uh, because as, as men, I believe that men are called to lead. That doesn't mean that a lady can't lead. I'm not, you know, anti-woman in any way. But I believe that men have a, there's a certain role for a man and a certain role for a woman that is God-given. And that's not in a hierarchy. The Bible says that God created male and female in his image. And I think that men reflected the image of God. And I think women reflect the image of God. Not in some above or below. They're, the Bible says that they're joined. They're equals, Right? Eve was what called alongside of Adam, not behind Adam, right? If we really want to get technical scripture, that's the way the scripture model is. But there is something about uh, as a father, as a dad, as a man, that we have a certain area of influence that we need to take and take on the responsibility of those things. Uh, that is from the Lord, that we have to model and to walk those things out, especially in our kids. Because I know one of the things that you've talked about, even in the one of the specific things was that as you begin to watch me act things out, you realize things in yourself. Yeah. You know, is that it, it ain't very pretty. Yeah. And so, and that, but it creates this motivation to change. And, and I'm very yeah. thankful to say that you're a whole lot better, you know, and, uh, and, uh, you know, and, 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 but there's also been a lot of growth in my life and in his life. And yet it's been something that we're actively believing God for our family that, Hey, that they won't know the effects of that, of that sin. Um, you know, is that, that we continue to walk forward and to see our family move forward. And so, but it comes back to, to a lot of humility on your part. And I give you a lot of credit mm. for that. And, um, you know, I, I know that he has told his story. Uh, and, and you may say, man, it sounds like he's bragging. Trust me. 
that's not the case at all. Um, he's actually told you more than I thought he would have. Uh, because uh, he, if anything, you know, there's an illustration that they say, if you ever see a, a turtle on a fence post, you may not know much, but you know he didn't get there by himself. You know what I'm talking about? Well, that's him because he, he says it all the time. And, and the cool thing is even here recently uh, in the last couple of years, we've had the opportunity. Uh, I don't know, a couple of years ago we were talking, maybe two years ago or so, and you were sharing with me about how you've really got to start to share your faith with your customers because for yeah. years you felt like, hey, it would affect business. And now you don't really care as much. And, uh, and so when people start to ask him, like, how have you been so successful? He's began to be able to tell them his story and to share with them about the faithfulness of God and the goodness of God. And so even in an industry like the oil patch, being able to go and, and talk about Jesus and to share, you know, and have the opportunity to pray with customers and their marriages are falling apart. And he's like, well, you need to get in church. You need to do like you got to I mean, here because they want to know how have you stayed married and done what you've done? How have you, you know, all of these things. And so, you know, it, it is such a, uh, an interesting thing. Uh, to see how God would, will use where you are. And so regardless of, of what field you may be in, whatever vocation you may find yourself in, that is your area of ministry. Is that you're not there by chance. You're there by God's design. And God wants to use you right in that place. And so don't, you know, I mean, he's a businessman. He's a salesman. And it's easy to say, well, I just sell equipment. But, they're, but you're selling equipment to who? To people. You know, and so there's an opportunity, regardless of, of what you may find yourself doing, that is a place that God will work and that God wants to use you and to use influence that you have. And, and so those are things that, that are important. And so, you know, we can touch on this real quick because we we're already out of time. But I told you, we, see, we only got two questions. He was really nervous. He's like, what are we going to do if, we're not, if we don't have enough, if we run out of stuff to talk about? Like, we have plenty to talk about. Yeah. And, um, but one of the things I would say that is unique, and a lot of your customers have even said this, we're getting ready to, uh, next month, about a month from now, we're going on a family vacation, which is where me and my family, my mom and my dad and my two sisters all go together on vacation. And people think we're nuts. And uh, they're like, I and would all never the grandkids. do that. Huh? Yeah. And all the grandkids. It's about, what, 18 of us? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And so y'all can pray for us. Just pray and, um, you know, but, uh, but the truth is, is that all of your kids love you, respect you, call you for wisdom, advice, you know, and there's something unique about that. Um, and I think that part of that is because um, through the different seasons of our life and you've changed the way that you have um, kind of fathered us through the seasons of life. I think one of the things that's helped me to do that and probably one of the most difficult things was to forgive myself I think men as a whole we got a tendency mine was anger a lot of it but you have a tendency to not forgive yourself and you ought to always forgive yourself my wife tells me that I forgive myself too easily now <laughs> but I don't you, you actually hold it in if you don't forgive yourself, and I think that's probably one of the main things probably where I got stumped because I didn't forgive myself. I just kept doing what I was doing because I wasn't forgiving myself, and I think that always helped me some. Yeah, and I think, too, even you guys taking time with us in different seasons of life, you know. I mean, yeah. by nature, you're not necessarily an athlete, right? That's right. My I'm mom not. was the more athletic one. Is that a nice way to say that? Yeah. And, uh, you know, my mom was more the the athlete and these types mm. of things, but... What, I didn't know if I was right-handed or left-handed. 
Yeah. That's kind of funny, but I, I didn't know. But they had me playing ball, and I'd, I would catch the ball right-handed, but I bat left-handed. But back at years ago, my parents thought if you was left-handed, that would hurt you in business. They didn't want to hire as many left-handed people. They always want to handle, uh, hire the right-handed people. I don't know if that was true or not, but it got me all confused. <laughs> yeah. but, but, but even in that, you would come and would participate in my games. You would at least oh, try yeah. to engage in certain things. And then, you know, of course, we both enjoyed hunting and fishing. And then as I've gotten older, though, and we don't necessarily get the time to do those types of things. Today, we both have interest in land and real estate and doing those types of things. And so yeah. when we were living in Shreveport, uh, I'd bought a house. And so, uh, you know, and it was on the lake. Well, it, it yeah. was close to the lake. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was close enough to the lake. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but he was like, if you get this house, I'm buying a boat. And, yeah. uh, and me and him would go right around the lake yeah. like a bunch of grandpas and just put around the lake looking <laughs> at houses and just talk. And just and he calls it enlarging your vision. You know, I mean, and I think that's that's an important thing, too. I think that's a lot of what has contributed to your success in a lot of ways is just being willing to go and look and to see things like you talked yeah. about with your customers. Like, hey, I want to go and see this big old boat that you got. Not that you wanted that boat, but that's it just right. was like, man, and it gives you this capacity to open up the possibilities of your life. You know, and I think that there is so much of that. And so even through the different seasons, I mean, I'm the youngest of three, so I have two older sisters. And, uh, you know, but there's been different seasons and we've all had our unique challenges and seasons and, you know, uh, of our life. But the fact of maintaining a relationship with all of us and today you get to reap the benefits of it because now you get your favorite title, which is Papa, which all of your grandkids think that you're just the best thing on the planet. (laughs) And, uh, you know, and so but that's the reward, you know, and so uh, there's so much about it. So I just want to encourage you men. you know, is it even those, specifically those of you that have kids, make the investment, take the time, you know, and it's, and it is, and we talked about this prior to this, just as we were discussing things, is about finding the things that you guys have mutual interest in. Don't just drag your kid to the lake if they hate the lake. You know, I mean, find out what there's some mutual interest in at, at their age. Like right now, my son's into Legos. I don't want to get on the floor and build with Legos, but guess what? That's where he's at. And so... Guess where I'm at? On the floor building Legos, because that's where he is right now. You know, and, but if we're 20 and still building Legos, we might have to have a conversation. But, uh, you know, but. We're going to have him fishing. Yeah. And, uh, so, but there are things that you can do uh, to continue to build those relationships. I mean, we just want to encourage you. I, I you know, I wanted to, to have my dad come up here and to share uh, with us, and, and I, you know, exactly what he talked about. There, right there at the end, I think that because of the pressures that we face, it's easy for us to feel guilty. You know, I know one of, as I was talking to a few people, you know, even finding a balance between work and family and all of these things. And well, you know, it's, I remember one time I called Pastor John. This was when we were still serving in Arkansas. And I, and I was really struggling with the whole work family balance. And like, you know, cause I was working a couple jobs and I was doing separate things. We were pastoring the church and trying to do all, just juggle all this stuff. And, you know, and to me, I was like, I need this balance that everybody gets equal time. And obviously that's just not reality. But I've been trying really hard and I just got really frustrated. And, um, you know, and I called him and I said, hey, I just got to know. I said, I, I feel like that you're probably one of the most balanced people that I know as far as your time and your kids love you, your wife loves you and all these things. I said, you know, 
so I got to know, I said, is, 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 how do you maintain balance? And I was like, is it, is it like week to week or is it more seasonal? And he told me, he said, it's seasonal. There's times that you're going to work a lot. And then there's times you're going to be able to kind of pull back and spend more time with your family. You just need to recognize those seasons as they come and as they go, because they're not always, you know, I mean, there's seasons even in, in our life as the church. I mean, there's busy seasons in the church. So the church gets more of my focus, more of my attention. And then there's times that we kind of, it kind of comes to a little bit more of a, a slower season. And so I, that's the time I can really focus on my family. And, and that's true in business. That's true in life. It's, you know, and you take advantage of those moments. And so, um, you know, but so don't allow guilt to push you either. Because uh, guilt, and, and that's the enemy. That's the enemy coming in to push us and to make us feel guilty. But we have to, what, give grace to ourselves and say, look, I may not have done it perfect, but God, I know that you're working. I know that you're moving uh, in these moments. And so uh, I wanted to pray over all of our men today. And, uh, you know, as we wrap up today. And so whether you're a father today or not, I just want to pray over all of our men. So if our men would just stand up, doesn't matter how old you are. and uh, But if you're uh, you know, if you're here, I want to pray over you, Dad. You can stand with me. And I just wanted to pray over you today, and uh, because I believe that uh, that the enemy specifically has us as men as targets. Hallelujah. And uh, but here's Jesus. the good news: anybody that the enemy targets, there's a reason why, and that's because there's a God potential on the inside of you. And, uh, and just as much as the enemy may be against you, your Father in heaven is for you. He's for you. He's not against you. He's not setting you up to fail. He's actually setting you up to succeed and setting you up to prosper. Um, But you have to be able to see that in your own heart. The Bible says in Proverbs that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And so kind of to put that into some context, how you see yourself is the measure you're going to live up to. And so if you see yourself as a failure, that's the measure that you're going to live up to. Why? Because that's how you see yourself. And I would encourage you, man, you got to begin to see yourself through the eyes of your heavenly father. And I realize some of your natural fathers may have said things and declared things over you that have hindered you. They may have said things like, you'll never amount to anything. You'll just be a failure. When are you ever going to get this right? And those words echo in your heart to this day. And your dad may be gone, but those, the power of those words stand today. And I want you to hear me today is that your heavenly father has something very different, different to say about you. He doesn't see you as a failure. He doesn't see you as barely making it. No, he has things that are a a grace in your life to bring about his purpose. And you may be in very different seasons of life. You may be in a season of life right now where you're trying to figure out, like, what is my purpose? You may be in a transition season where you're trying to figure out, man, things have changed. And where is my purpose? And what am I supposed to do? And all of these things. But when you will... Spend time, as my dad talked about, even just in prayer. It doesn't have to be long, but just acknowledging, God, I don't know what's going on, and I don't know what to do. And I don't know how, to, how I feel this way or what to do with these emotions. You'll begin to pray and to ask the Lord and to begin to seek Him. Wisdom will come. It may come from some unusual places. It may come from a friend. It may come from uh, just somebody that you know. It may come through a song. It may come through, through a customer who maybe not even a spiritual person. It's just somebody that you interact with and they say something. It's like, that's, that's what I needed to hear. But if we're not paying attention for it and looking for it, we'll miss it. And so I want to pray over you men today, just as we wrap up. And so, Father God, I just thank you so much for every one of these men that are standing right now. Father, the men that are in this room, the men that are online today. 
Father, I thank you that we are your image bearer. Father, that we've been created in your image for your purpose. Father, so I thank you for all the gifts and the callings that are on the inside of every one of these men. Father, I thank you that you're bringing them to fullness and to fruition, Father, in their life. Father, I thank you for, the, for your grace, Father, that it is sufficient, that it's more than enough for every one of us. Father, for everything that's on our plate right now, all the pressure that can come, all the, the shame and, and the weight that the enemy wants to come into place upon us, Father, I thank you for your grace. Father, because your grace makes our burden easy and it makes it light. Father, that we've been equipped for this moment to lead in the positions and the families and, and the, the wives and the children and the associates and, and all the business dealings that we have. Father, that you've placed us for this moment. And Father, that your grace isn't just enough for us, but Father, it's more than enough to help us succeed and prosper and to step into all that you have for us. So Father, I thank you for clarity of purpose and of meaning in our hearts. Father, I think that we learn how to walk and step with your grace in our lives. So, so, so Father, I thank you. Father, I declare a blessing over these men right now. Father, your blessing in their life. Father, that they walk in wisdom, that they walk in strength. Father, that we would walk in the understanding of, of knowing how to handle and to use our strength in a way that would protect those, but also give stability and strength to those that we lead, those that are around us. So, Father, I thank you for your wisdom in our hearts. Father, that we seek after your wisdom, Father, that we could live differently, that we could walk in the fullness of who you've called us to be. So, Father, I thank you for them. Father, I call them blessed in the name of Jesus.